Father, we just thank you for your word, that, Lord, that you have given your word unto us. And, Lord, we just uh, thank you that when we come to your word, that we, you can always speak to us and, and teach us from it. And, Lord, I know this morning we're, we're looking at events that happened centuries ago, but, Lord, you can still speak to us through this message. So, Lord, we pray for your spirit to be amongst us this morning as we come to your word, and we pray that you will bless us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this morning we're going to continue uh, working through our series on the book of Deuteronomy. And one of the things that we've been encouraging you to do is to read the text ahead of time uh, for the Sunday because quite often the text that we're going to be looking at covers a few chapters. So it's it's quite a good idea just to to note down um, what we're doing the following week and uh, have a bit of a a gander of it throughout the week. So next week's text is Deuteronomy chapter 26 verses um, through to chapter 29, verse 1. So it's um, three chapters and one verse for us to look at. However, this morning's sermon is um, a few chapters back from that. It's based on Deuteronomy chapter 21, uh, verse 10, verse, through to chapter 25, verse 19. So what I suggest you do is find Deuteronomy chapter 24 in your Bible and put a marker in there and... Um, We'll be starting in chapter 24 and we'll read a few uh, excerpts out of that and then we'll jump forward, backwards and forwards a little bit uh, between chapters 21 and 25. Now, if you did manage to uh, read through today's text, you would have discovered that it is a collection of laws that God gives through Moses to the Israelites. And there's a lot of them and it's quite varied. There are laws on marriage, there's laws about parents, about relating to your children, there's laws on integrity, theft, uh, covers things like worship, sexual purity, and there's even laws about slaves, so that's something that we don't relate to so much in our day. Uh, there's, it covers the topics of justice for foreigners, for widows, for orphans. And then there are some laws that appear to come out of left field, such as having tassels on the hem of your cloak. There's also laws on everyday sort of stuff, such as toilet arrangements in the camp. And even health and safety gets a look in. There's one law that states, place a railing around the edge of your flat roof so that no one can fall from it. Well ahead of its time there, isn't it? So it's a large and varied list of commands that have been given to the Israelites. Now, we've got to remember the context in which we read these commands. They are given specifically to the nation of Israel and we also need to remember that the Israelites are living in the ancient world. Um, these events happen at at approximately 1400 BC. And there's also some background for us to consider leading up to the point in time when the Israelites received these instructions. Firstly, God has rescued them as a nation out of slavery in Egypt and they have just been through 
a 40-year wilderness experience and just all the things that happened during that time. And also they are about to enter the promised land and set about conquering the people who live there and take possession of that land. Now against this context and background, we see that these commands are intended to be for all aspects of their life. These laws are are relevant to them as they stand there on the day that they receive them, for when they enter the land and for once they have settled in the land. So when we initially look at these commands, we find that to us some of these laws make sense. However, other laws are quite confronting and have some quite harsh elements to them. And again, other laws don't seem to have any relevance whatsoever. I mean, take a look at this law in chapter 22, verse 11. What are they talking about here? Why can't you wear a garment of wool and linen woven together? Is that a spiritual issue or is it a physical issue? A practical issue? I don't really know. But there will be some sort of application in this command if we were to look into it. However, that's not going to be one of the verses that we will focus on today. But feel free to do a bit of digging into it and get back to me with what you find. The thing is that some of these commands may have direct application to us, but more than likely they won't. In a few moments, we're going to pick out a few of these commands and try and work out what they do say to us and what we can take from them. As we look at a sample of these laws, there's four things that we need to keep in the back of our minds. When we look at these laws with these things in mind, it helps us to understand what God is up to, and it also helps us to draw out what relevance that these laws may have for us. And it it dawned on me as as I was preparing this that as we look at these things, that they are also our points of application for this morning's message. So you're getting the uh, so what part of the sermon before we've even really started. The first thing that we need to keep in mind, and this is a question that we need to ask as we look at each of these commands, what is the heart of God behind each command. Now, while a law about how we treat an an escaped slave may not apply directly to us today, or at least I hope it doesn't, we can look at this law and others like it and work out what God's intention was. What was the heart of God behind these commands? Why did he command the Israelites to do this? And why did he command the Israelites not to do something else? What was his intention when he gave that law? And sometimes it is there in the text. But what we will find as we look at this sample of laws this morning is that God had various intentions. And they might have been something like he might have intended protection for a particular person or for a particular group of people. He might have been making sure that there's provision for a particular group of people. One of the other things that God intended was he wanted to keep his people who had been set apart, he wanted to keep them pure and free from evil. He is a holy God. 
So holiness of his people was behind some of these laws. And of course there were also themes of justice. So that's the first question to keep in mind. What is the heart of God behind this particular command that I am reading about? Secondly, these laws are God's way on how to relate to other people. Now, each of these commands in today's text is mainly concerned with how the Israelites deal with other people. They're not so much about looking at their relationship with God, though that is there in the background and it's an overarching uh, theme of these laws, but these laws are mainly concerned with how they should relate and deal with one another. And what we find is that these commands are based on the latter portion of the Ten Commandments. Commandments 1 to 4 deal with relating to God, whereas Commandments 5 to 10 deal with relating to mankind. And they were up there on the overhead for a little while there. So they had commands like, Honour your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour and you shall not covet any of your neighbour's stuff. The thing is, it's not just God and me. I live here amongst other people. I live here with my family, my wife and my children. I have contact with my parents, my siblings and my wider family. How am I relating to them? I live here amongst my church family. How do we interact with one another in all the situations that we face together, whether it's the good times or the bad times or whether it's a stressful situation? I also live here amongst my work colleagues and other peers from other aspects of my life. What should my conduct and interaction with them look like? I also live here in Wanganui and New Zealand. How do I relate to the community and the world around me? These particular laws in this section of text were about how the Israelites dealt with one another and the world around them. Now, an expansion on this point is our third point, which is that God's word can be applied to all of life. The word of God is applicable to all aspects of life. You see, the laws that God gave to the Israelites here were an example of what the fifth to ten commandments look like when they're put into practice. We know the commandments. Now, how do we apply them? This collection of new laws or new commandments are the so what of Moses' sermon. They're the, the application part of it. Now, these instructions weren't a comprehensive list of every conceivable situation uh, that each Israelite might encounter. However, as you look at them and you look at what's behind them, you get an understanding of how God wanted the Israelites to apply the Ten Commandments to their everyday life. And we have the same sort of challenge, don't we? How do we apply our Christianity to our everyday situations? We believe in and we know about God. We're familiar with the Bible and what it says. 
but how does that look practically as I do life? How does it look as I interact with others, as I go about my business, and when I am faced with the different challenges of 21st century living? It's a matter of taking what is written on these pages, absorbing it into our very being, then living it out in all aspects of our lives. And it sounds easy-peasy, doesn't it? But as we all know, it's not quite that simple. But we constantly need to remind ourselves of this and attempt to do this. So God's word can and should be applied to all aspects of life. And the, the last thing, the fourth thing that we need to keep in mind is, is, is a question. What is the motivation behind obeying God? Why should the Israelites obey these commands? Or if we bring it to our level, why should we obey God? You know, God calls us to live a certain way. Why should we do this? Throughout Deuteronomy, Moses reminds the Israelites that it is God who rescued them from slavery in Egypt. No one else had a hand in their rescue. And it wasn't because of their own might or because of their own righteousness. And it certainly wasn't any foreign god or idol that saved them. He points out to them that it is because he rescued them. This is the reason why he is giving them these commands and why they should obey them. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 18. So we're finally coming to the text. Always remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from slavery. That is why I have given you this command. Now, this particular reminder is dotted throughout the book of Deuteronomy. I have redeemed you. This is why I have given you this command. And it's printed on the handout as well, but it was a different verse. That was Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 12. And there's other um, references to it. God keeps repeating it through the book of Deuteronomy. God had rescued them. God had redeemed them. They were only there because of the grace of God. They should obey God because they love God, because God saved them. They had been shown grace by God. Now, when we look at the context of verse 24, verse 18, we see that the command that he gave them just before the statement is to show true justice to the foreigner, to the orphan, and to the widow who is living amongst them. God showed you grace, so you in turn show grace to others. And to go just a little bit further, we see in Matthew 22 that Jesus sums up the entire law for us by explaining what is at the heart of the law. And this is quite a well-known scripture. This is Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. You'll, you'll all recognise this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbour as yourself. 
the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. The entire law is summed up on loving God and loving others. And that is also our motivation behind obeying God. Obey God because you love God. Why should you love God? Well, he rescued you. He redeemed you. And when you are applying his commands or his words to your everyday dealings with other people, you are displaying your love to him and for your neighbour. Right, let's get into the text and look at a couple of specific examples. Now we're going to start with something simple and easy. Let's start on the subject of marriage. There are three sections of laws in today's text that are related to marriage. And they cover a variety of subjects, uh, such as divorcing someone for trivial reasons. Uh, They look at adultery. Uh, There's also a specific law on how to treat a woman who is captured in war. Um, And there's even a section on rape. So straight away... Amongst these verses, we have some of the more confronting and disturbing circumstances that we can encounter in Scripture. And there's also uh, subsequent commands that can be just as equally confronting to us. Probably something that that should be mentioned at this point is that God is not condoning or implementing the circumstances behind some of these laws. For example... The law about seeking a divorce because you're just not happy. That's also in Deuteronomy 24 and it's the first four verses. Deuteronomy 24 verses 1 to 4. Now suppose a man marries a woman but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce, he hands it to her and he sends her away from his house. When she leaves his house she is free to marry another man. But if the second husband also turns against her, writes a document of divorce, hands it to her and sends her away, or if he dies, the first husband may not marry her again, for she has been defiled. That would be detestable to the Lord. You must not bring guilt upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession. So, we have this guy who wants to divorce his wife for no really good reason. God gives this command because it would be sinful in this situation for the first husband to remarry the woman involved. It's a detestable thing to God and would bring guilt upon the land. But the act of divorce isn't in itself a God-ordained thing. It is a man-made situation. It is a broken situation. Let's look at another example of a broken marriage situation. Situation of polygamy. This is found, if you want to turn back a couple of um, chapters, to Deuteronomy 21, 21 verses 15 to 17. Now suppose a man has two wives but he loves one and not the other, and both have given him sons. And suppose the firstborn son 
is the son of the wife he does not love. When the man divides his inheritance, he may not give the larger inheritance to his younger son, the son of the wife he loves, as if he were the firstborn son. He must recognise the rights of his oldest son, the son of the wife he does not love, by giving him a double portion. He is the first son of his father's virility, and the rights of the firstborn belong to him. Now, one thing that God is not saying here is that either of these circumstances are his ideal. They are both broken situations. The guy in the first case wants to divorce his wife because he is displeased with her. The guy in the second is a polygamist. Neither of these circumstances are God-ordained. They are man-made situations. They are broken circumstances. Jesus clears up the whole divorce issue in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew 19. So we're going to, I'm just going to read to you from Matthew 19 verses 8 to 9. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. So the only reason divorce was there, it was a concession to the hardened hearts of the people. But it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. So Jesus shed some light on divorce. So when we look at some of these commands, we are not to naturally assume that God condones or endorses some of these circumstances. What is going on here is that God seeks to show how his law can apply to and work in these broken situations. It's an example of how does God's work, word, how does it work in all aspects of life? Now it's interesting to see that one of the things that is an outcome of some of these commands is the protection of women's rights. And it may not be overly apparent to us as, as we read through these, these scriptures. As you know, in that culture, women had very little rights or ability to provide for themselves. And we see how some of these laws are given to actually protect women. We see this particularly in some of the commands like the woman who is captured in war and taken as a wife. This, um, this is in Deuteronomy 21, verses 10 to 14. So I won't actually read that. We'll just sort of paraphrase it here. But she must, not, she must be given time to grieve her loss. And if her husband later on is not pleased with her, he cannot sell her or treat her as a slave. She must be set free. So that must have been a bit of a problem back in those days. And again we see that this is a broken situation. But the woman has shown mercy in the law and is given protection in the law. And it might not be seen as going quite far enough in our society, but in the context of the ancient world, this was quite groundbreaking and it was outstanding. The point here is that God's intention behind some of these laws is to display his mercy and is to provide protection. That is God's heart. And we will see that come out in some of these other laws. 
Now, another marriage law that displays God's grace is found in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5. A newly married man must not be drafted into the army or given any other official responsibilities for the first year of his marriage. Why? So that he might bring happiness to the wife that he has married. Obviously, this law allows for quality time to build their relationship. It's there to establish the marriage and to establish the family. It's a great law and it shows God's heart in marriage. However, when we look at some of these other laws, we discover that God's mercy and his grace is not always God's intention in every one of these laws. Sometimes God is seeking to drive out evil from amongst his people. We know that God is a holy God and cannot stand sin or impurity. Now one of the more confronting verses that we read is how adultery is to be dealt with. And this is in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22. If a man is discovered committing adultery, both he and the woman must die. In this way, you will purge Israel of such evil. Seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? I mean, anyone can make a mistake, right? Well, when we apply the background of our society, sometimes adultery is hardly even blinked at, is it? Unless you're directly involved and then it's really quite major. This is an example of one of those scriptures that you cannot apply all aspects of this law directly to us. And we need to remember that it's about context. What we need to do with this type of scripture is look at why God gave this command. And it is there in the command. In this way you will purge Israel of such evil. God is a holy and righteous God and he doesn't want sin and evil amongst his people. So we can see God's heart behind this law. It is so that his people can be kept holy. And it's not a stretch to apply this principle to similar circumstances in our own lives. Adultery is a sin that can cause horrendous social, physical and spiritual consequences, particularly for Christians. And we need to recognise that. Not only should we be dealing with adultery decisively, but we should heed the warnings that verses like Deuteronomy 22 verse 22 gives us and take all precautions to avoid finding ourselves in that situation. So that's a quick look at the laws relating to marriage. Now I apologise if it appears that I have just glossed over some of these things. Some of these issues are really quite complex and I cannot in the time allotted provide a completely balanced presentation on these topics. And the intention here is not so much to explore these deep issues, but rather to get us thinking on why does God give these com particular commands to the Israelites for all sorts of different situations? And in turn, how do I implement God's principles into every aspect of my life? Now let's look at something that's quite different. Integrity. Now rather than an instruction on a certain aspect of life, this is an instruction is about a 
characteristic that should be practiced in all aspects of life. Here we have three completely different passages that deal with three different topics, but in each case they are underpinned with the theme of integrity. They're all about fulfilling a responsibility or a duty and not skirting what is required. The first example we have already briefly looked at as a marriage law, and it's that polygamous fellow again. At the heart of that law is that he fulfills his commitment to his firstborn son in regards to the allocation of his inheritance. As we already know, it's a broken situation. This guy has taken two wives, and I've spoken about polygamy before during our time in Ruth. It was a man-made solution because God was not trusted enough to provide enough children in a culture where a large number of children was important for the well-being of the family. It's not a God-ordained practice. It's a lack of faith in God's provision practice. Take a look at the issues that it caused Abraham, Sarah and Hagar. And it also caused problems to Jacob, Leah and Rachel. Polygamy wasn't a recipe for happy times. And of course you all know the penalty for polygamy, more than one mother-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> all you mother-in-laws can sort me out after the service. <laughs> However, one of the common issues that arose from this particular situation was that one wife would be favoured and loved over the other. And in this law, the husband is called to display his integrity by bestowing on his firstborn son the rights that, that that son is entitled to. It doesn't matter if the father loves the other wife more than the firstborn son's mother or not. The husband must uphold his responsibility to give the double portion to the firstborn son, regardless of the family's dynamics. Sounds like it might have been a big issue in the day and not so much of an issue uh, nowadays. But it does display that the theme of that theme of fulfilling your responsibilities. The second scripture is also about integrity and deals with making vows. This is um, Deuteronomy chapter twenty three, verses twenty one through to twenty three. Deuteronomy twenty three, verse twenty one. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, be prompt in fulfilling whatever you promised him. For the Lord your God demands that you promptly fulfil all your vows or you will be found guilty of sin. However, it is not a sin to refrain from making a vow. But once you have voluntarily made a vow, be careful to fulfil your promise to the Lord your God. You must be a person of your word. If you promise something to God, you should fulfil that promise. And this is another one of those laws that Jesus expands on later on. And um, in Matthew 5, uh, verses 33 to 37, this is Jesus expanding on that law. Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, 
for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So don't make vows or oaths to God that you can't keep. Just simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Now the third scripture that we're going to look at in this section is found in Deuteronomy chapter 25, uh, verses 13 through to 16. And this is about being honest in what you do. Use accurate scales. Use honest weights and measurements so that you may live a long life in the land that he has given you. All who are cheat, all who cheat are detestable to the Lord your God. So what we see in these three laws is that God wants his people to be upright and honest in their dealings with their family, in their dealings with him, and in their dealings with others. God wants his people to be a people of integrity, people of the word, and he wants them to be honest. All that cheat are detestable to him. And let's face it, dishonesty is not an endearing characteristics to other people either, is it? So again, we have a principle of God from one of these ancient laws. And there are plenty of times and instances where we can exercise God's principle of integrity in our lives. Okay, let's move on to something a little out of left field. And we're going to look at this topic very briefly because it gives an example of how varied these laws are. Uh, this is a very different law. This, uh, we're talking about Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 1 to 3. Uh, this is a very different law on how the Israelites were to treat people who were facing punishment. This command demonstrates how even someone we may view as a serious offender should be treated with dignity while they are paying the penalty for their crime. Deuteronomy 25, verses 1 to 3. Suppose two people take a dispute to court and the judges declare that one is right and the other is wrong. If the person in the wrong is sentenced to be flogged, the judge must command him to lie down and be beaten in his presence with the number of lashes appropriate to the crime. But never give more than 40 lashes. More than 40 lashes would publicly humiliate your neighbour. So this is another one of those confronting verses and I'm not going to get into the whole discussion around this type of punishment being handed out. But again, when we do look at the context of this law, we discover that the ancient world was filled with hideous punishments that seriously injured offenders. Often the punishment would leave them disfigured, disabled and humiliated. And against that background we see that this law is designed to restrain the punishment of the offenders and to spare them of public humility. The punishment still stood, but there was room for dignity to be maintained. So this is one of those laws that demonstrate how God's principles relate to all aspects of life. 
Now, there are many other laws and categories of laws that we simply don't have time to look at in depth. There's examples of laws that are concerned with how they were to treat their fellow Israelites. And many of these laws use the reference of either brother or neighbour when talking about other people. God calls them to seek out good for each other, to look out for each other and each other's properties. And he commands them to do things like don't charge each other interest, things like that. They were to treat each other as they would their own family members. Other laws again call for the Israelites to care for those living on the fringe. Don't take advantage of the poor and the destitute. In fact, they are to be offered protection and they also need to be provided for. And again, there were some laws which focused on purging evil from amongst them. These are again those harsh laws which were intended to protect the fabric of their society as God's people. Rebellion and trafficking your own people as slaves, for example, were heinous sins and they were not to be tolerated. And even the natural world was of concern to God. He created the world, he created man and the animals and the plants. There were laws about finding birds in a nest, laws about not planting other crops amongst your vineyard, and you must not plough with a donkey and an ox harnessed together. I'm not sure why, but there was a law for that as well. And there are many others. What we get out of all of this is that God's word is applicable to all aspects of life. God's word can and is to be applied to every situation that we come across. Now when we search through the Bible, we may not find a passage that describes our exact situation with all of its intricate details. There may not be a step-by-step guide on what to do in this situation. But what we do have are the principles of God. The challenge for us is to not only know what these things are, but to learn how we can take them off these pages and to implement them into all of our life, into every situation, whether it is a moral dilemma or it's just our day-to-day business, whether it's interacting with our friends, with our family, with our churchmates, or with people that we don't even know, whether it's about our character and our integrity. How do I look out for those in need? How do I treat the environment and the world around me? How do I treat people that I don't really like? Who should I vote for? What is the heart of God in these situations and how do I handle them? In closing, I just want to go to one more example from our text and I think this passage just really embodies what we have been talking about this morning. It's a command that is referring to a situation that you might not really readily relate to unless you're a farmer. But the message and the application is very clear. It really shows the heart of God, his mercy and his grace. And it brings our focus back to why we should obey God and clearly demonstrates the greatest commandments. Love God and love your neighbour. This is from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24 and it's verses 19 to 22. 
When you, are, when you are harvesting your crops and forget to bring in a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigners, orphans and widows. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. When you beat the olives from your olive trees, don't go over the bows twice. Leave the remaining olives for the foreigners, orphans and widows. When you gather the grapes in your vineyard, don't glean the vines after they are picked. Leave the remaining grapes for the foreigners, orphans and widows. Remembers, remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. That is why I am giving you this command. So let us be motivated by the fact that God has saved us and as we go about to serve God and to serve others in all that we do. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, that you do speak to us through the word that you have given us. Lord, we just are so grateful for all that you've done for us. Lord, we thank you that you have rescued us and redeemed us and saved us. And Lord, as we consider that and as we go about um, our lives and our daily routines, Lord, may we use that as our motivation to obey your rules, to obey your laws, to obey your word and to see your word come alive in our lives. Lord, help us to be practical, hands-on people, practical, hands-on people of, of God. Lord, we pray that as we, as we do go amongst all parts of our community in, in the week that comes, may we take your spirit with us and may we just see your will done in those situations. Lord, we do just to, again just remember Jamie and May and we just again just lift them up before you and we pray for Evie Grace, Lord. May we remember them through this week. It must be um, a very hard situation that they're in and Lord, we just pray our hearts go out for them. So Lord, may we remember them through the week to come. In Jesus' name, amen.